Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Welcome back on International News Review. Steve Oaken joining us in the studio. Good morning, Steve. And sadly, we've got to start with a serious uh, topic, and that is the one of the earthquake in Turkey. Uh, Singapore Red Cross donating a million dollars this week to help the relief efforts. It is just a, it is such a tragedy happening there right now. It is, and and from a you know political perspective, uh, of course, we're, I, you need to look at this as well. Is what is this going to do to President Erdogan? Um, and, you know, his handling of the earthquake, but more importantly, why the earthquake had such a devastating impact. And the opposition parties in, in Turkey are saying that the main problem of what's happening today is the one-man rule um, and that they allege that it's the institutional collapse in Turkey that has turned this into such a disaster of of proportions that you have now the global community coming together, Singapore, the United States, the EU and others trying to help out. Um, And so you have the immediate impacts, but there is going to be long-term impacts over this, which are going to have huge geopolitical ramifications as well. Well, that is the the double tragedy to this, isn't it, guys, that you've got two one-man states effectively in Syria. Of all the countries this could have happened in, Syria and, of course, Turkey. And when when it first happened, I mean, some of the comments, as you mentioned there, from the Turkish president were along the lines of, it's a natural disaster. These things happen. There wasn't so much we could do about it. But it's now coming to light, Steve, isn't it, that some of the buildings were not built to stand as to withhold or, or withstand uh, the earthquakes as they are in other countries like Japan. So he's dealing with that. And I, I don't think he's quite anticipated the domestic and international fallout that's happened in the last few days. Well, like Erdogan is trying to say, of course, that and, and he's, his quote is that these that this earthquake is not the biggest disaster in the history of the republic, but in the history of the world. Um, <laughs> and he's now saying we have to put aside politics. He's calling, you know, the, the opposition leaders. We all have to come together um, and address this disaster. But what the critics are saying is that this is not unforeseen. There was an earthquake in Turkey in 1999 that killed 18,000 people. Mm. And so new laws were put into place to try and have improved construction so that the buildings could withstand an earthquake. And what the critics are saying is that that was ignored and that these these new laws were ignored um, and there's allegations that it was just corruption, right? People were paid off so that the inspectors would not hold the the construction companies to what was required to have safe buildings. Yeah. Um, and construction firms were removing support columns from shops. They were making changes in bearing walls. Um, and so – that's the the question is how much blame is going to be attributed? Of course, the earthquake is a natural disaster. Yes, unfortunately, people die in natural disasters. But is it worse than it should have been? Yeah. You know, these are when when these occurrences happen, whether it's uh, this this tragedy, absolute tragedy in Turkey or elsewhere. The, the question always comes, you know, 
the politicking, the politics involved around this, as as you have just rightly pointed out, around this particular one. And and then the, the inevitable questions, is the time right to be talking about politics and, you know, laying blame when literally the recovery and rescue efforts are still mm. going on? And they just uh, found today a, a young boy, a 16-year-old boy was found alive in the rubble after 119 hours. And should should the world be focusing on that versus there's plenty of time for recriminations later on. Well, there are. And certainly you do need everybody focused on on the recovery and rescue um, as, as much as you can. But there are legitimate questions that are going to be asked. Was the money that should have been put into preparing for disaster recovery and rescue there or was that money siphoned off? to places it shouldn't have gone because yep. you have one-person rule yep. in Turkey. So you have questions of were were the construction uh, codes followed? Where did the money go that should have gone into that? What, was the country prepared? Again, this is not unforeseen. An earthquake in Turkey is not unforeseen like an earthquake in California is not for, unforeseen. Uh, a hurricane in Florida is not foreseen. And when you have a strong disaster response, as you saw in Florida – um, with the U.S. government and the state government working together, Governor DeSantis going into an election did very well. He might not have had the response not been what it should have been. You've got an election coming up in May in Turkey. What is going to happen? This is certainly going to have a fallout on, on that vote. It's very interesting. You mentioned the politicking there, Glenn. It's not just political commentators. It's weeping men and women standing outside the rubble of fallen buildings saying, I'm trying to dig out my children and grandchildren on my hands and knees. Where are the diggers? Where is the specialist equipment? Where is the government support? And as you mentioned rightly, Steve, the election is on the 14th of May. There's doubt now cast on whether the election will go ahead or not. What impact, if any will this have on an election when we know it's a pretty much a one-man one state there? Well, that's that's the question. As, as, as Glenn had said, you know, Erdogan is calling his political rival, mm. saying that we should be transcending our political mm. differences in order to overcome the, desti- uh, the devastation. But um, you've got an election, and, and Erdogan has been, you know, he wants to extend his two-decade rule. This is a result of, this is part of his record on that two-decade rule. He cannot extend the election beyond May without the opposition parties agreeing to it. I mean, I think he can extend it for for a month or so, but under the Constitution, he doesn't have the right to say we're going to do this a year from now or two years from now. And so politically, if you're the opposition, you want this election, I think, in May because you want it fresh in people's minds that there are real life consequences to his his rule as government. And you want to be able to vote on that. Okay, let's move forward. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, a um, Another balloon story, or at least a, some kind of story. We don't know what it is yet, but uh, a U.S. fighter jet has shot down an unidentified object drifting high over Alaska on Friday, just six days after the downing of that Chinese balloon uh, and all of <laughs> all of that that has uh, led to a diplomatic chill and and a, a difference in perhaps how the U.S. and, and China relationship is going to go forward. Uh, what, what's the view on that these days, Steve? Well, and, and the question is how much of the, the China balloon fallout is going to hit Singapore? Right. Because what you're learning now um, is is coming out is that the China balloon had Western parts made with English writing. 
That is what the U.S. lawmakers hmm. were told. Um, you have seen that what the this balloon was not purely Chinese military. This was a fusion of the military and the private sector being used by the PLA. So this raises questions. How much money should be going from the United States and other countries into China's private sector, which then can be used for military purposes? It used to be pretty clear that the U.S. used to, it used to be pretty clear that if a, if a technology could be used for military purposes in addition to civilian purposes, that was called du- dual-use technology. You are not allowed to export dual-use technology from the United States to China, like a computer chip that could go into an F-22. But every, if, if more and more becomes dual use, facial recognition that goes into drones. I mean, what's not possible for dual use these days, right? Well, GPS positioning. I mean, you know, like everything, right? That's the question. And no. if the more and more becomes dual use and the U.S. starts to put outbound investment restrictions into China, well, a lot of U.S. money comes from the United States to Singapore into China. So if Singapore businesses that have U.S. investment are not going to be able to to invest into China in these types of entities, it is going to have a huge impact on the financial services sector, on mm. Singapore businesses, on, on, not just Singapore, of course, but all businesses, but because there is a lot of U.S. investment into right. Singapore that right. goes into China. So it's something that is very critical to be watching for investors and businesses right now. Mm. Steve, one thing that fascinates me, and we talked a little about this off air, the U.S. is claiming that Chinese spy balloons have flown high over 40 countries now in five continents and have flown four times previously over U.S. territory. This happened apparently during the Trump administration. So I'm wondering now, why is this dominating the news cycle now? Nothing is by accident. Nothing is by chance when it comes to news coverage, news cycles. Why is this getting so much play now when it isn't new? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep lane discipline here. Keep the lane discipline, my friend. I'm keeping lane discipline here. Right? But the, the question is... Um, did we, the United States and other countries, know that that China was using this type of, of technology? Or is this stealth um, compared to what the U.S. and other militaries were looking for? Mm. So did we only find out now because the Chinese became so egregious in putting such a large balloon at such low altitude hovering over a ballistic missile site in the United States that people could see it from the ground. So now you can look back, right, and see, go back in all the records, because, of course, I presume the military keeps track of all the radars and everything, and you say, oh, we didn't even know they had done this. It wasn't like, the, maybe it's the U.S. didn't know that China had been doing this for right. so long. So why did we find out now? Because the U.S. just found out now. The, and now other countries are starting to mm. find out now. And now it becomes a lot more serious to be asking mm. the question, um, what was China doing? This wasn't just some stray weather balloon that happened to, to float in. And, and you see a very heightened concern by the United States, as Glenn referenced. There was just another object. We don't know what it was. Or it, we, they weren't the taking any chances, man. Blow it out of the sky. We don't right? know what it was. Um, we don't know who it was from. We don't know what the purpose right, was. Right. But again, it is much heightened, and it shows the tensions are going to increase even more than we thought they were. Quick follow-up on that. I've heard this week that, as you've both mentioned correctly, that there are many, many ways that intelligence can be gathered, right? 
they would have known surely that this balloon would have been spotted. And there's a line of thought that says this was a deliberate act of provocation, as if the Chinese almost knew that the Americans would see this and be forced to make a decision. What are your thoughts on that that line of thought, that this was a deliberate act of provocation on the part of the Chinese? I, I, I don't, again, lane discipline here, right? We're not in the causeway traffic. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, what, in some ways we are. Right. Yeah, 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 very much so. <laughs> what was, you know, what was, this was certainly the PLA knew that they were going further, the People's Liberation Army in China knew they were going further than they had ever gone before yeah. in, in, and they had had previous incursions, but this was different. Um, why did they do that? Who knew in the Chinese government? Did this go up to, to you know, right. Party Secretary Xi Jinping for his sign off? Or did they believe this was within their, you know, the, the, the mandate overall of the increased, you know, to call it aggression because you're entering into U.S. airspace with a, with a military object. And so mm. why did they do it? Who knew about it? This is going to be very difficult for, for anyone to know who wasn't inside the Chinese government now. But it is something that is going to get a reaction. And to tie back where we were, you now have U.S. lawmakers proposing these outbound investment restrictions. You have more export controls coming. You have the U.S. Congress saying we have to stop all of this dual use, which is now, as Glenn mentioned, much further. So the fallout from this balloon is going to be much more impactful than we had initially Mm. anticipated Mm. with lots of questions. Excellent lane discipline there. Excellent lane discipline. Very good. Uh, As disciplined as you've ever been. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We were going to talk about State of the Union, but you know what? Anybody who's interested in that can see all of the analysis on TV (laughs) because I want to get to this ESG conference uh, that was here in Singapore this week, Steve, that you were taking part in. And and what's happening, you know, we've talked a little bit about greenwashing and, uh, well, anyway, lots of, lots of things happening. Tell us about what the upshot of what you're hearing on the latest practice, the latest theories or understanding about the levels of ESG in business these days. What what are the best practices looking like? Well, the the concerns in in that we were talking about at the conference I attended on ESG is that there's too much greenwashing happening, and you're going to get a backlash against what is critically important, which is businesses taking actions to address societal challenges, not right. just in the E and the environment, but on the S. And so, what companies uh, understand is that. If they can portray themselves as more sustainable, they are going to make more money. They are going to be able to sell more products. They're going to be able to raise more capital. They're going to be able to attract better employees. So there is an incentive for them to position themselves that way. The question is, who is going to put the check on them to make sure they don't Is there any global uh, kind of – Entity being formed or any uh, regional, national? No, I mean, you certainly see it in, 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 in entities that are regulating, like the SEC in the United States, right. you know, the Securities Exchange Commission, right. um, the FTC, the, 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 the Federal Trade Commission. You have others in, in, in the UK and in the EU doing so. But it's really going to have to come from the consumers. Um, and it's going to have to come from each country's regulators. And you're starting to see the pushbacks now when people go too far and when they use environmental claims either to misrepresent what they're doing or to use it as a misdirection. 
Well, I'm reading the story you sent briefly that, you know, you said Asia is unlikely to follow the litigious path that's in the US. Why? Is it bottom line just that? They're putting bottom line before planetary concerns. No, I mean, I think that you don't, the, the governments don't have the type of regulatory uh, enforcement across Asia Pacific that you see in the U.S. and the U.K. I mean, it's just not the way the systems are designed here. It's much more of a collective way of making sure that companies are doing the right thing. And so you're going to see, I think, the consumers become the enforcement actors, the investors becoming the enforcement actors. I think the governments will catch up, but it's just a different regulatory approach that you have in many markets here than you have uh, in in other countries. But doesn't that sound, based upon what you're saying, a slight cop-out? I mean, most of the major corporations are Asia. They pan Asia, right? They're across Asia. So shouldn't it be, the emphasis should be, or the onus should be on regional governments, Asian governments to come together and say, this particular company company is falling foul of these ESG regulations. Well, part of it is it's very tough to say what is a, you know, what is a green claim that goes too far. And if you say that, you know, we are working hard to become more sustainable, is that okay? If you say we are an, you know, we're we're less of a bank and more of an eco-warrior, does is that cross a line? So it's very difficult in a way mm. to do that. If if you are saying, you know, we are taking this bag is made from fully recyclable plastics and it is not, then you can take action. But part of this is where do you draw lines in 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 terms of you know what's puffery, uh, what's inspirational, and what is you know a lie? Very difficult. Fascinating, Steve. We got to leave it there. But last quick prediction question from you: This Monday morning, the American NFL Super Bowl being played Monday morning Singapore time, Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Who's going to win? Well, let me just say, I am wearing my, my UVA strong shirt, uh, for the Super Bowl. This is, is, is a, a fundraiser, uh, from the University of Virginia for those three football players who were, who were murdered as a result of gun violence last mm. November. Mm. So want to keep in mind as we think about football, um, the good, um, and, and what positive we can make out of this tragedy. I was actually going to ask Neil to, uh, uh, his opinion on how often he thinks the Eagles are going to use a cover two defense to try to contain <laughs> Mahomes and Kelsey, uh, because I think that is the key to figuring out who's going to win this football. Oh, game. Definitely have a comment. I'm only on that. interested in sports that the rest of the world <laughs> actually play and care about. I mean, let's talk well, about world sports. No, and I'm going to Philadelphia Eagles, man. It's okay. Philadelphia Eagles all the way. Rocky, home of Rocky. And and our good friend Rob Salisbury uh, reminded me just this morning a thirty second. Advertisement on during the Super Bowl, uh, two to six million dollars. Four, I think for it's, thirty it's, seconds. It was four point six million or something. I mean, yeah. it's a huge it's, amount of money. Yeah. All right, like, I I think Andy Reid, the former coach of the Eagles, um, now the coach of the Chiefs, going for his second Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in football. The Eagles are a great team. It's not quite their time yet, so I do think it's going to be. Kansas City. Chiefs. All right, there we go. We'll find out uh, this Monday morning, uh, early Monday morning, Singapore time. Uh, Steve, as always, thanks so much. We will uh, chat with you next weekend. See you next week. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.